Welcome to Sastery in the Making, the podcast that features the people who made the software world what it is today and the leaders who are shaping the future of technology. Here's your host, Matt Wallach. Okay, I have some questions for you. I want to know if you want to understand how to launch and scale in a crowded space. How do you do that within a crowded vertical? Or maybe you're looking for ways to become the most popular system on Product Hunt and G2 and the like. Or what if you're wondering about the best ways to quickly scale your customer base? We're going to touch on all of those and more today. This is Sastery in the Making. I am your host, Matt Wallach, and I am delighted to be joined by my special guest, Jeroen Kortout. Jeroen, how you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Let me tell you all about Jeroen. This guy really knows his stuff, and we're going to talk a lot about it. But he's the co-founder and CEO of Salesflare. Salesflare is an intelligent CRM built for SMBs selling B2B. It's really mostly popular with agencies and SaaS companies. This is the most popular CRM on Product Hunt right now, and it's top rated on the review platforms, platforms like G2 and all those. It's really rated for its ease of use and its automation features. So it's a really slick system. And I am excited to have Rune here to tell us all about how he's built it up. So thanks once again for coming on the show. Yeah, happy to be here again. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so Rune, tell me, what have you been up to lately and what's coming up with you? Oh, I need to think for a bit then. Uh, a lot of things. One of the things I'm working on right now is uh, Samsung is launching this new SaaS marketplace for SMBs. And uh, we're going to be on that. And it's quite some work. It's been a bit of integration work. And now we're setting up the pages and all that. So that's uh, part of my time goes there. Then there's some new initiatives. First has been uh, like starting off 2021, uh, figuring out our strategy for the year. And now we're actually starting to sort of implement that also. So starting that implementation uh, takes some extra work. And helping the team to get some of these things started. It's probably the main things I'm currently working on. Okay, that's awesome. So when you say a sales flare is an automated CRM tool, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, so we used CRMs in the past. Basically, Salesflare started from a, another software company where we had a lot of leads. We went to a, a big conference. We got a ton of leads interested in buying our software. The issue was that we still had to close those leads to earn some money. <laughs> Yeah. And um, I personally have been working a lot with Salesforce in the past. I worked at a marketing consultancy where we didn't only use Salesforce internally. We also uh, use it for clients and projects. And I knew that wasn't really a tool to organize this kind of stuff. It's uh, a great thing for enterprises to build whatever sort of system they want to build with the help of consultants, but it isn't a practical system for you to organize your sales. I learned that the hard way by trying to use it. And then actually in that software company we were working on, tried lots of other um, systems and we, we definitely found some better ones in Salesforce, much more directed towards following up sales, which was the, the thing we were looking for. The only issue was that they always failed at the purpose for us. They were built for that purpose. But at the same time, there was this expectation that these systems imposed on us that for us to achieve that purpose, we had to be these people that were really, really great at filling out every single detail of what we did or every single piece of data that we found into the CRM. And if we didn't do that, which always happened, 
Uh, the whole system started falling apart. And yeah, we got a bit frustrated and um, we started thinking about it. And at some point we figured like the things we're doing here don't really make sense. Actually, the data that we are putting in that system, the CRM, actually already exists in other places. And us copy-pasting is not really a, a proper use of our time. We're always trying to remember stuff. A system could do that for us. It could essentially automate the whole data input to start with, which is really the basics of making a CRM work, if you ask me, is making the data input as easy as possible. Because if that's not easy, then there's this huge barrier for it to achieve its purpose. And then from there, using that data to achieve the purpose, to actually help salespeople to follow up their sales, their customers, close more deals, have happier customers by properly organizing themselves in an easier way. So much easier input, much more output. And then anything you want that a CRM sort of achieves, it will achieve. But if the sales team doesn't use it, it won't. Inevitably, it won't. So the, the thing Salesforce automates to uh, answer your question is it pulls a lot of information from emails first. So in emails, you can see obviously the emails and their contents. But there's also who you're in touch with, with their names and email addresses. There's email signatures with information in there. There's uh, the frequency of emails and like which sort of gives an indication of connection strengths. You can integrate email tracking with little pixels in the emails and replacing the, the links. You can link that up with website tracking. So that also already gives you an idea of not just what emails are going on and what's in them and the data about customers in there, but also how your customers interact with them. Similarly, in meetings, there's a whole ton of information, as you can imagine. There's the participants, when they happen, there's uh, the descriptions, there's whatever, whether they happen on Zoom or whatever. Then similarly, in um, call histories on phones, at least on Android, Google allows you to pull in call histories. There's information in company databases that you would other find, otherwise find yourself sort of manually integrating, which we automatically offer to our customers. There's information from publicly available sources on people that we also automatically integrate. There's uh, updates from social media. At this moment, usually uh, Twitter mostly because others have sort of closed off their API. So. But all this information automatically comes to you. Automatically, it's, it tells you, for instance, like you're in touch with this company. These are the people you are in touch with. Do you want to add them or not? And then it fills the history and, and all that. That's the automated part of Salesforce. And then we build on that to automate even more. Like we allow you to send automated emails when this and this is true, for instance, and then it emails until people reply and you know, this kind of stuff. That's fantastic. I mean, one thing I've seen in my career is salespeople are typically pretty bad at adopting and using the CRM. It sounds like what you're accomplishing is trying to make it so that the data does get into the system so that you can use it and you can make it happen. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, if you see, I was just checking the updated figures, but about 90% of our revenue comes from our customers actively using the software. So there's a, a really high engagement rate with the software, which is usually not the case with CRMs. I once heard from someone who heard from a Salesforce executive that it's about 20% of their licenses that are actually wow. used. So there's this uh, huge difference there. That is quite a big difference. And I'm sure that entering the CRM space with a ton of big players must have been daunting. What told you and, and your partners that you guys could do this, that you could come in and enter the space and succeed? Yeah, uh, it was our belief in the mainly in the difference we would make. 
we were like, okay, these CRM systems, they, it's this big thing, but it doesn't really work. And we thought we could make it work. That is mainly why we thought we could do it. Initially, we thought about making a sales platform, a specialized thing for salespeople that would, for bigger companies, then hook up with their sales force or so. Like you would have a Zendesk for support people, for instance. You would have the same thing for salespeople. We thought it doesn't make a lot of sense that they're using this thing that they don't want to use. We tried to sell it to larger companies. They come back to us saying like, no, we want to fix Salesforce. We don't want another system. And the synchronization thing that we were talking about, they were like kind of wary about. So we started focusing on small companies. We were in a startup incubator. Lots of companies were super interested. And nowadays we were focusing also more and more on, on medium-sized companies. It also comes, I guess, with a part of, in English, I think you say naivete uh, as, as naivete. founders. Like you always like. It we might can be make French, actually, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with a bit of French uh, <laughs> etymology, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yes, I love that. So you kind of had a lot of confidence in yourself then. You, you call it naivete. I call it you know, confidence. And you guys knew confidence, that you could yeah. do something. Even though you weren't totally aware of maybe the challenge ahead of you, you wanted to take it head on. And I think that's the beauty of entrepreneurship. And it sounds like that's what you guys did. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. If, if we would have known the challenge ahead of us, maybe we would have not started. And that would have been a, a pity. It is a huge challenge, as you can imagine. But we're taking it sort of one step at a time and always trying to improve. And that's really fun because we've, we've learned so much. It was a, a way more interesting journey than if we would have had a, a simple challenge. I totally can see that. Absolutely. I've seen that same thing in my life as well. Now, what I want to ask you is, it is a crowded space. How are you able to kind of separate and differentiate your product from the other players, the other CRMs? Yeah. So first of all, it's a matter of focus. We do small and medium-sized businesses selling B2B. We don't do anyone who does B2C. Well, this is not a, a crazy sort of focus, but then within that space, we mostly sell to agencies, which is marketing agencies, software development agencies, consultancies, this type of businesses. And we sell to, I would say, tech companies slash tech startups. Uh, it started with tech startups, but more and more, it's also larger versions of those, let's say. So for instance, a, a big telco company uh, uses us now also for their Latin American branch. And then within that, we create a sales CRM. We are not in the, in the sort of game where we want to build everything for everyone, like some other players you probably have in mind. We try to make really good software for a specific purpose. And the most important purpose of a CRM system is still, at least for the companies we focus on, is following up leads properly is having a real system and a sales pipeline and, and reminders and follow-up and knowing everything about them, tracking them, automating stuff. So that's what we focus on. And then we focus on making it more automated than others, like I explained. And that's we offer because we still need to make a difference there. Competition is, is quite harsh. So we try to make it as easy to use as possible. On G2, we're rated the... 650 CRMs, the number one most implementable, the I think currently the fourth easiest to use, the wow. second with the best support, and the third giving the best results of the implementation. Wow. And that's only based on a constant focus, obviously. It's it's wanting to improve on like, do people get this? Can we improve our onboarding? What else can we do? And that's uh, the consistent focus of, of a big part of our team uh, to make that happen. 
I love you say focus. And one of the things you said in there, I really, you know, took attention to was we're not trying to be all things to all people. You have found your niche. You found your market and that perfect person for you. And so I think it's fantastic that you identify that and you really speak to that person. You probably develop your product to them. You develop your messaging to them. I work with my clients a lot on this is don't try to be all things to all people. seems like you have been able to accomplish that by really going after your perfect fit customer. Is that right? We probably can still do better. And sometimes we try to improve that as well. <laughs> because it's still, I mean, we still have sort of two separate personas. And then in there, there's still variations. And I don't know what. But it's, uh, it's an ongoing work. It's uh, the better you can define your target market and, and make sure that people in that target market really love your product and say, I cannot live without this, the better you will have product market fit and it easier it is to grow. So we keep working on that. We're not like, oh, we found it now. Or <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I like that you keep trying to get better. So you have done really well. I mean, you've built this company from zero to over 2,000 companies as customers, which is quite you know amazing. So that's kudos to you. But what are some of the best things that you did along your path that really helped you get there? Apart from... The biggest thing, which is uh, consistently working on getting making things better, because in any story of something growing, it is the most important thing. There's no such thing as all of a sudden everything exploding and wow, we made it or something like that. But if I would have to pick out some inflection points in the journey, it's mostly in the year 2017 when we launched on Product Hunt and AppSumo. And created some hype around our product, got a lot of people on there, uh, got a lot of people excited, and then built from there to get more word of mouth, more reviews, more visibility in different places. I would say that was an important moment, but it's not it's not that that made Salesforce. Or <laughs> sure, let me. I want to dive into that. Did you actively seek out? word of mouth referrals? Did you actively try to build your customer base to become raving fans and help you get the word out? Mostly the second part. We tried to make everyone as happy as possible. And we really take that seriously in the sense that, for instance, if somebody comes with us to us with a piece of feedback, we try to understand that it goes into a system. It gets linked up to similar things, similar issues that people try to solve. Uh, when we make something like that, we communicate it back. Every single person that asked it, we, we say, okay, you asked for this. We made this. What do you think of it? So really trying to close that loop uh, in terms of customer feedback to, to excite people and to make sure that even though it's, it's many people, that every person is sort of heard. And obviously, it's hard to do good for every single person individually. But at least listen to them, take it into account. When we do something, which usually benefits the larger group, still uh, talk about it personally with them. Getting referrals, yeah, we do ask for reviews. I think it's uh, it would be dumb not to. Agreed. Um, yeah, if you don't ask for reviews, you, you usually don't get them. So we have a, a bunch of things set up, automated. They don't work really great. So, so often we just go reach out personally. Or we, uh, we ask it in, in personal conversations. Referrals, we, we should probably ask for it more. From a sales perspective, I think it would make sense to, to ask that more because we, I, I think we don't often do that. Sure. Now, do you guys practice what you preach? You talk about you know, your sales team making sure that they're, or, or sales teams should be automating. Is your sales team living 
what you guys are preaching? And is that how you're able to you know, work with these prospects and get them convinced that Salesflare is the solution for them? We don't have a big sales team, but yes, uh, all of the things I just said is stuff we do ourselves. For us, actually, many of our customers, their sales looks slightly different from ours. Ours is very much support-driven because we get people on the software and it's, and it's just making sure that they are using it in the right way, that they're set up correctly, that uh, it fits in their context, that they know uh, how to onboard their team, all this kind of stuff. And then maybe maybe some discussion on price at some point. But I mean, that's just a, a minor part of the of what we do. But it sounds like you're yes. really trying to help. It sounds like you're trying to show that you're advising them and helping them and making sure that they're comfortable and that they have everything they need. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's what sales should mostly be about, especially these days when people find out most themselves. Uh, they can research stuff on the internet. They can check out most things. It's really about guiding people to to be successful with your solution to their problem. Absolutely. Perfectly said. That's exactly what I train my my clients to do is make sure that you show that you're helping. How can your solution solve their problems? That's awesome. What I want to ask you, Rune, is what advice would you give to new software founders just starting out? What things can they learn from your journey that would help them get to where you guys are now? Something I didn't mention yet is currently we have this whole thing set up where things are largely automated and we have a volume of people making trials all the time. And and we get in uh, at some points to help them where we can. But this is not how it was from the start. And I think it's very important to understand that what I would advise in an early stage is rather to be as close to the customer as you possibly can. So when somebody is interested in using your software, don't just say, here's a link. Uh, you can go through and sign up and see what you think. Rather you say, okay, let me show you the thing. Um, you want us to set it up together, set it up together, give them some advice, ask them about their context, see how you can make it better for them. Be there uh, while they make their first steps in the software so you can see all the stuff that's going wrong and then support them personally and really build that out and always like communicate back to the, to the development team and prioritize things so you can constantly make things better. It's super important in the beginning. Rather than just throwing a thing online where there's start a trial here, people try some stuff, you have no idea what they did. You can look at a hot jar video or so, but you're like, I don't know what happened. Why is this person clicking here? You know, it's much, much, much better to to take it a bit slower, uh, to really take people more by the hand, really, really help them. And it will also make much more sense in the um, in the sense that you won't have the enormous enormous volume of leads coming in. So in the initial stages, it also makes much more sense to maximize your conversion rate. Our conversion rate, I remember when we went from uh, this extremely self-guided process to putting a trial online and say, okay, you can sign up now. It probably was divided by three all of a sudden. It fell massively. So wow. early stages, I would say, uh, keep them by the hand, put in a lot of effort, and it will pay off uh, in the long run. Yeah, I love that. I mean, talking with your customers is so critical to be able to understand what their needs are, what their challenges are, and be able to funnel that information back to product, be able to make sure that you can then message and you can 
you know, uh, sell and pitch to them appropriately. I love that you guys are doing it. This has been amazing. I've gotten a lot of information and you've dropped a lot of knowledge to help us out. I really appreciate that, Jeroen. I want to make sure that everybody understands how they can learn more. So how shall our audience learn more about you and Salesflare? Uh, if you want to learn more about Salesflare, you can head to salesflare.com and Flare is with F-L-A-R-E. You can read about the software, but you can also very quickly see it. I, we have an experiment running now where if you just click try it for free, you immediately see the software and you only have to make an account afterwards. Uh, and then if you actually make an account, it's a trial of somewhere between 7 and 30 days. It's a sort of gamified concept where as you set it up further, you get extra days on the trial because we've seen oh, that cool. people who set it up further actually are way more successful in the long run, not just in the immediate conversion. The churn is way lower when people properly set up their CRM. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. There's only one person with my name. If you type it correctly, uh, you'll find me. And then include a personal message because otherwise I will not be able to distinguish you from all the, the spam I get on a, on a daily basis. So don't forget that. Otherwise, I will, I will probably not accept. But if you do, I will accept and we can, we can chat. Perfect. And for those listening on the podcast, we will put all that information in the podcast notes so that you have it. But Jeroen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, this was fun. Absolutely. Likewise. So once again, we've been talking with Jeroen Kortout from Salesflare. Check out that information that you'll see in the notes. For everybody else listening, please subscribe to the podcast. Please also rate us. If you enjoy what you're hearing, give us ratings so that we can produce more and better content for you. We're constantly talking with innovators and creators, and you'll hear us weekly. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and like and rate us. We'd really appreciate it. But thank you very much for listening and watching, and we will talk to you next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to Sastery in the Making. Join us next episode for another look into how today's visionaries are creating the next generation of innovation. Thank you.